They say the world can be hard, cruel, and ugly. Trust me, it gets worse if you're hungry and thirst. Doesn't push you from position, last place to first. Can't build a foundation without having feet in the dirt. So I put in the work, grind harder than most. I don't chase accolades of the living, I'm facing a ghost. That's what makes me the GOAT. Depending on who you ask, my brother, whatever task. Got it covered like a mask, guaranteed they can't see me at the open run. Cause I cook competitors until they look well done. Don't act like you don't know where I held from. I had to climb about the trenches, sit on benches till my time had come. Don't be mad at the player, be mad at the game. Sneak this in the hating, that's a flag on the play. Me falling off, huh? That'll be the day I'm like, bolt in the race, leave the track, flambe, it's the open run. Today is September 11th or 9-1-1. I don't normally say the date on the podcast because it comes out a day after I record it, which is fine too, but I want to say something about today because I was actually surprised at the lack of, and maybe it's because I'm in Canada, but the lack of jingoism around the start, the official start, the first official weekend of the National Football League. And what I mean by jingoism, if you don't know what that means is that the game is surrounded and, and, and rife with militarism for some odd reason. I mean, there's no real reason to sing the national anthem at a football game unless you're the world champions, but that's a whole nother conversation. But they do. There's so many of the terms related to football are rooted in warlike language, military language, the gridiron, the bomb, the blitz. These things are generally associated with militarism, if you want to call it that. And so I watched, but for the first time in over 20 years, I didn't have someone for whom I could root. As far as like my favorite player. Now, for those who have been listening to the podcast over these past couple of years, I'm a fan of the good Dr. Thomas Edward Patrick Brady. I always have been since the time of the University of Michigan. So it was very difficult for me to be a fan of someone else I haven't followed since that time. Maybe Shador Sanders ends up being that guy later on, but I'll be a little bit older then where I felt like I had this connection. University of Michigan, I, I love Go Blue all day, every day. I talk about that with the helmets when I was a little kid. That got me. But when I look around and I talk about Tom Brady and Shador Sanders, and I realize that 14 black quarterbacks started this past Sunday in the National Football League. You know, the guys who didn't have the mental capacity to secure that position and play that position effectively. Hmm. I know Patrick Mahomes is biracial, but when it comes down to it, they're going to call him black, so it doesn't really matter. And I don't want to go too deep in that bag either, because that could be a whole nuanced conversation about race and constructs and everything else. But we don't have that type of time today. While I'm waiting, am I going to cheer for a guy because he's black? Am I going to cheer for him because or his team, because of my relationship to him, I'm having a dilemma. I'm in quite the quandary. What a conundrum. Yes. So I'm looking forward to the NFL season. And I want to shout out my man, Urban Magic Johnson, in command, minority owner of the Washington Commanders who won their first game. So shouts out to him. And shouts out to all black owners in the NFL, or I guess they call them governors now. Hello, governor. And I was reminded when I was thinking about Magic owning the Commanders and how he's diversified his portfolio from a business standpoint since he left the association. But has he really ever left? 
The first minority owners, black minority owners of an NFL team were these trailblazers by the name of Venus and Serena Williams, who have trailblazed not only in that arena, but also, obviously, in tennis. And this is homage to that little eight-year-old girl dancing around Flushy Meadows at the Arthur Ashe Center, watching Serena and Venus, and 11 years later becoming the latest teenage champion at the U.S. Open, and the first one since Serena in 1999. Yes, shout out to you, Coco Golf, winning your first major single title. Salute to you in the U.S. Open win, and salute to number 24, and I'm not talking about the late, great Kobe Bean Bryant, but I am. The original Joker, the OG Joker, Novak Djokovic, winning his 24th tie in Margaret Court. I don't even count Margaret Court. So the top two tennis players ever in terms of winning majors are Novak Djokovic and, of course, Serena Williams, who won 23. He's at 24 now. Djokovic, at the end of winning his 24th title, Djokovic went and changed his shirt and he was crying. You could see him sobbing visibly. He talked about when he was going through some downtimes, how he would lean on Kobe and talk about winning winning mentalities and keeping his spirit up. And they considered him a friend and he really missed him and Gigi and everyone else who perished that day back in January of 2020. Doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but yet it is. It made me wonder, is it harder to get to the top? You win 24 championships. You win five NBA championships with two different types of rosters. You win so many titles and going through so many things, is it harder to get to the top or stay there? And with that in mind, I'd like to welcome you to The Open Run with Will Strickland. That would be me. The Open Run with Will Strickland is brought to you by the fine folks at One Neighborhood. Yes, oneneighborhood.com coming up very, very soon. I can be found across these rough interweb streets at W underscore Strickland and the number one on Twitter. Will Strickland and the number one on IG and, of course, across all streaming platforms where podcasts can be found. But in this case, right now, exclusively at Anchor.fm. Is it harder to get to the top or stay there? For years, the idea that America was the best at everything was a thing that was propagated to us. You know, the only thing that America doesn't really want to be the best at is racism. But... Again, another conversation altogether. When I look at the FIBA World Cup, which I thought was great this year, the notion that America would won most of the gold medals except for the games where they were cheated in 72 or the whole Cold War thing had gone on between Russia and the United States where the United States boycotted the games in 1980 and subsequently in 1984, Russia did the same. They've always been at odds, especially during the times where basketball, first introduced into the Olympics in 1936, was a part of the Games. And I'm looking at the semifinals for this year's World Cup, which is not necessarily the Olympics, but it works toward ranking those teams. You have teams that have committed and players that are committed, whether they're playing Eurobasket or somewhere else overseas, and they play all year, but they're committed to their country. There's a sense of nationalism that exists in those countries that doesn't exist like it does in the United States because of access to hundreds of millions of dollars to play a game that you play for free anyway. These guys, don't get me wrong, Eurobasket, you make money in Eurobasket, 
but it's, it pales in comparison to what the rank and file guy can make in the NBA. This is a different type of relationship with the national organizing body for basketball in, say, a Germany, a Lithuania, a Serbia, Slovenia, places like that. But North America, in particular, the United States and Canada, well, we already know about the United States, there's money. But now, as more Canadians are in the NBA and are making these dollars, and now you have a first-team all-NBA performer in SGA, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, does that mentality change? Do you look at the history of how Canada basketball has treated young black basketball players and their history? We can deny this all day, but let's pick up that rock and see what's under it. For sure. Too many players who look like me, who play for Team Canada, who tried out for Team Canada, know the politics of the business, understand the history. Will they always speak on it? No, but they will acknowledge it. I don't have that relationship. I'm going to acknowledge it. And understand that is a part of being black in North America, just being black. But that's, a, again, a whole nother conversation. If you're not aware of the differences, welcome to the planet. You haven't been here for long. But the semifinal games between Serbia missing the great Nikola Jemain, that's J-apostrophe-M-A-Y-N-E, Jokic probably out racing horses and chilling with his family. That's what he does. Basketball is his job. It's not his life. I love that. He's not obsessed with it, but he's great at it. But they were still led by a really strong core team that has a lot of pride in their program. And imagine if the former Yugoslavia had never been broken up, how great that team would be. But again, that's something to speculate upon. Right now, they have a leader in the name of Bogdan Bogdanovic, who was blessed with a middle name that's not one that I've given other Slavic players because they generally don't have middle names. And it was only right years ago when I gave Bogdan Bogdanovich the middle name of Bogdan. So I could say, Bogdan, Bogdan, Bogdanovich for three. He was a leader for Serbia this year. They outlasted Canada for the chance to go to the gold medal game. Serbia, you couldn't name their second best player. Team basketball. They got the ball at the court. They moved. They didn't hold the ball for long. And they trusted all the guys on the team. They had an identity. This is key. They have an identity. I shouldn't say had. And Canada still trying to remedy itself with its non-NBA players and having a wealth of NBA players, seven in fact, who are on the team. Canada couldn't outlast Serbia. Serbia goes on to gold medal game. And Germany, they have a couple of NBA players in their squad. Franz and Mortz Wagner, Daniel Tice, Dennis Diminish, Dennis Schroeder, who people had clowned for a couple of years because they said he fumbled the bag. Ha, ha, ha. He had a bag to fumble in the first place. It just... This mentality on these rough interweb streets is something to behold. The ability to pile on someone and try to crash their life is an amazing thing. It's a, it's rooted in hatred and jealousy and ignorance. I'm not one to do that. I'll give a guy the business for a minute, but I'm not going to pile on like that excessively. And I think they did that. But Dennis Schroeder knows she's a multimillionaire and still plays professional basketball in the National Basketball Association, just signing a new deal with the Toronto Raptors. We'll get to that in a second as well. He goes on to lead his German national team to win over the United States team. The team, everybody says, oh, that's a B team, that's a C team. Well, Dennis Schroeder's not an all-star. Franz Wagner is not an all-star. Bogdan Bogdanovich, not an all-star. Kelly Olenek, not an all-star. Dylan Brooks, not an all-star. Nikhil Alexander-Walker, not an all-star. But this is not 1992 anymore. 
And the world's gotten smaller as far as basketball, but they've gotten better. The last five MVPs of the National Basketball Association have all been foreign-born players. The paradigm has shifted a bit because of how we play the game. So Serbia beats Canada, Germany beats the United States, and we get the Canada-U.S. matchup many were hoping for, but they thought it would be in the gold medal game, not the bronze game. A game in which Canada overcame everything in front of them and won. Dylan Brooks, who is the self-proclaimed best defender on the planet, gave you 39 beans in overtime, no matter what. 39. People say, well, he's just a defender. He can't shoot. Well, Dylan Brooks was the Pac-12 player of the year when he played at Oregon and owner of the most egregious flop in the history of flops. I got to say it. I'll probably post it later on today. So Canada is the third best team on the planet, ahead of the United States. Serbia the second best team in the world without Nikola Jermaine Jokic. And the number one team on the planet going into the 2024 Paris Olympic Games is Deutschland, led by the new face of German basketball, Dennis Schroeder. Also a Toronto Raptors, so Raptors fans should rejoice as the FIBA World Cup MVP, Dennis Schroeder, will be coming to training camp in Canada very, very soon. 19.6 assists and an undefeated record. Good way to go into the Olympics, good way to go into the season. And because the United States was out of the medals, and you'll have this wide continuum of people saying, oh, well, we send our B team over there, our C team, and you expect them to give A team effort. Well, you didn't necessarily have the same thing with these guys overseas. They didn't have teams full of NBA players, and it's widely recognized, this is a fact, that the NBA is the best basketball league on the planet. This is not in dispute, not subject to it. But playing for your team and playing for a team they put together later on is vastly different. You have to have a singular vision of what you want. And everybody says they're wanting to play for gold, but people have agendas. They're playing for contracts. They're playing for recognition. And I want to give Brandon Ingram the business. I just found it that the guys who were performing the worst all of a sudden got a bunch of respiratory issues. Darren Jackson Jr. was the center and he had the least rebounds per game on the team. He had guards that had more rebounds than Jaron Jackson Jr. because he's a foul magnet. And so now, the world is calling for the 40-year-old Avengers to right the wrongs of the World Cup and get ready for the Paris 2024 games. So that means they're calling on the soon-to-be 39-year-old hashtag he who shan't be named. The 35-year-old Wardell Stephen Curry II. The thir- is he going to 17 years? 36. Going on 36. I think he turns 36 this month, as a matter of fact. Kevin Wayne Durant going to the 17th season in the National Basketball Association. Now you're going to have some young guys on the team, of course. Guys like Jason Tatum, maybe even Devin Booker. I doubt you'll see a Kawhi Leonard. There's no load management in the Olympic Games. But the fact that they're calling on the 40-year-old Avengers and they don't, and the program hasn't been developed because you have to make a commitment to being a part of the national team is funny to me. Or maybe it's not so funny. And maybe they're back to be called the Redeemed Team 2, the Avengers. Yeah, that would be funny. But what is not funny is what we have on the other side of this. So come back for more of The Open Run with Will Strickland. Back in you more of what you asked for. It's The Open Run with Will Strickland. Want to say rest in power shout out to Stanley Whitey Bonita, who passed away at 101 years old, the oldest at the time before he passed, obviously, the oldest living player in NBA history. He's the first one to ever make it to 100. 
The NBA actually gave him a certificate. I don't know what that did for him. It's like getting a gold sticker or a gold star for a living. But okay. He played 59 games for the Tri-City Blackhawks and the Baltimore Bullets back in the 1949-1950 season where it was still in its infancy. So salute and rest in power to, I don't want to call him Whitey, but that was his nickname, Whitey Von Nita. So it is what it is, but on to the daily drama of the National Basketball Association, and that means James Edward Harden Jr. I don't want to say that Damon Lillard is creating drama. He's been a good soldier for the most part, and he knew what he's doing when he signed his contract. Look, he has a program, a plan for his life. I can't knock that. It just looks real suspect to stay there and say you want to win a championship there and then say, okay, well, trade me to the team that's going to give me the best opportunity to make it to the NBA Finals. That makes sense in this tax-free state. I guess he's earned that, but James Harden, is. there's no country for old men. They couldn't even trade you to the place you wanted to go. You knew they didn't have the assets. So are you trying to force Steve Ballmer to do something and break up that team? You want to play with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. They don't have the assets to trade for you. So where will you go? And who will trust you? You'll quit in a heartbeat. You didn't get what you wanted in Philly. You didn't get what you wanted in Brooklyn. You didn't get what you wanted in Houston after being an MVP there. And a couple of chances to make the NBA Finals or at least beyond the... uh, Conference semis, you made the Western Conference Finals before. Your playoff performances were suspected best in your history, as you well know. Then you guys got blown out in Philly in Game 7 against Boston. He was very nonchalant about it. I mean, it is just a game. But when you talk about your legacy and how you fit as one of the top 75 players to ever play the game, does it matter? I've always wondered about this, and there was a conversation between my guy, Friend of the program, Robert Keith Ori, he of seven rings and no losses in the finals. Sounds familiar. Or something like that. And Gilbert Arenas, who was like, yo, I take the money that I earned by never going to NBA finals or winning a championship at all over your seven rings. Because what can you do with them when you leave? They're useless. They're just mementos. They're trophies. They're also signs of achievement. Much like, I guess, money is. Does money have more utility than the rings? Probably so, unless you utilize a way to make speaking engagements out of being a seven-time champion and parlay that into a TV career or a podcasting career like Gilbert Arenas does. I don't think there's a detriment to either one of them, but to make it a comparison is something else. And I think of James Harden, I think of Damian Lillard, and what their legacies are going to be. It's top 75 players in NBA history. It won't be about championships. It'll be about their regular season performances and, in some cases, some historic shots and MVPs, whatever the case might be. Damian Lillard's never been an MVP, but at this time in their careers, what are they doing and where will they go? I suspect at some point, and Damian's been very professional about this after he requested the trade, that he will get traded somewhere. There'll have to be a third team involved and the assets will have to be significant for someone to take the risk on a couple of 30-plus-year-old guys with injury histories in L.A., and they might be the ones that get involved, and James Harden might be a part of that as well. Who knows? I don't think there are trade partners out there that make sense for that, but again, I'm not a GM, and I don't see all the angles here right now for James Harden. I don't see if they even combine for James Harden and Dame Lillard to figure out different homes at this point. Will Lillard show up for training camp? Pretty sure James Harden won't. 
But off of that and onto the soul and onto Players TV Network, which is the first athlete-driven, athlete-run television network that will be broadcast and available through Amazon, Fire TV, and Prime Video. It's an organization, a company that is supported and financed by Christopher Emmanuel Paul, Dwayne Tyrone Wade Jr., Kyrie Andrew Irving, and more. There are other players like Ken Griffey Jr. who are involved, this and that, the third. And you cut out the middleman, much like the Players' Tribune on the print side or digital side. Here's the thing with television. I wonder who's creating the content and what kind of content they'll put there because, again, from a changing the paradigm standpoint and controlling your narrative standpoint, it sounds great. But as corporate interests come in and you have to cede some of that control in order to get the financing necessary to compete with organizations and networks that have been around for longer, who've been doing it for longer, and who will cheat, steal, and rob to get everything they need because you cannot take food off of their plates, CBS, NBC, ESPN, those networks, trust me, there'll be some conversation about what they're doing. And people do what they need to do to make sure their interests are not disturbed. But good luck and congratulations. I'm looking forward to seeing Players TV Network and probably submitting some content. You never know. Could be happening over there with the open run with Will Strickland. You don't know. Get well soon. Shouts go to my man Trey Murphy from the Pelicans who, I, you know, young man when he came out of Virginia, I didn't see this in Trey Murphy the third. I thought he was a good defender, but when he came to the NBA, the shot, the bounce, playing a key role on that team, especially if they make moves between Brandon Ingram and Zion Latif Williamson in the next year or so. They're going to see what's going to happen and how they do this season, if they can make that leap. But by February, if they're looking bad, somebody's on the move and they're going to build around the Herbert Joneses and the Jose Alvarados and guys like Trey Murphy III who will be out for the next 10 to 12 weeks after he tore his meniscus in a workout. So get well soon, Trey. And the guy with the nicest porn name in the NBA right now, Christian Wood, signed to the Los Angeles Lakers on a very team and cap-friendly deal. Two years, $5.7 million. I think that's the mid-level exemption. It's hard to find a 17.7 rebound performer in the NBA for that ticket number. But salute to Rob Palenka, who's done a great job this summer. Not only fashioning the Lakers for another run, while they still have the services of the hashtag he who shan't be named, and Anthony Davis, as a matter of fact, but also looking forward to the future. If Anthony Davis is still there, and the building around Anthony Davis. You have Austin Reeves signed to a new contract. You have D'Angelo Russell signed to a new deal. You got Torian Prince, a good 3 and D guy. You got Jared Vanderbilt, who's going to play defense. You got young guys who came out of the draft. You got Max Christie, who looked great in summer league. But you kept your core together for the most part. You brought in some pieces. I don't want to even say anything. I guess I, I should bring up Gabe Vincent coming there with NBA Finals experience last year, and he looked great in the playoffs. As someone who's going to have to replace Dennis Schroeder, who's now in Toronto. But if you want to say that a team won the summer. You say it was the Lakers. Of course, you don't win a championship in the summer, but you also don't win championships during the season either. You win championships in practice. And when you have an opportunity to practice from the very beginning as a core unit, you give yourself a great chance. And we're going to give you a chance to come back for more with the open run with Will Strickland on the other side of this. So, understand the assignment and move accordingly. We'll see you soon.
You're now listening to the sounds of the open run with Will Strickland, where the lecture is conducted from the mic into the speaker in conversation with myself and you, the listener, because it is cathartic and therapeutic. Shouts out to my old high school point guard and new head coach of New Mexico State University men's basketball team, Jason Hooten. We had a nice little conversation this past weekend about rebuilding a program and some of the young cats who I want to kind of funnel his way and give them an opportunity, have them try out. I'm not necessarily calling him a favor because he's starting out from the beginning and he's built before at Sam Houston State. He went in as coach in Sam Houston State basketball history and now about to do it again at New Mexico State. I wish him well in Las Cruces. Hearing the term Las Cruces made me think about this young man who I met through announcing his high school all-star game years ago with my man Dwayne Watson when we were at TSN. And I wanted to give like really solid Nick nomenclature, I think, if I could break my arm to pat myself on the back on that one. And it's appropriate to what the player does on the court and what I see in the environment. So if I name our 2022 Full Court 21 Vancouver champion Dominique Bakuteka, and I called him Dom Dom the Phenomenon, I'm rocking with that. You know, Manny Campbell was MC, so moved the crowd. And he was moving the crowd in New York City. You know, the 2018 Full Court 21 All-World Champion, Manny Campbell. Or, in this case, back in the day when we were announcing this game, over at the then Ryerson University, now known as Toronto Metropolitan University, young man from Ottawa, by the name was Jacques Lacusa, little guy. But he was rebounding, he was passing, he was shooting, scoring. Leading this team, he was nice with it. And I started calling him during the game the Jacques of all trades. And the nickname stuck. He still uses it to this day. This had to be almost 15 years ago. He still utilized that nickname. I'm cool with it. I like it. I've been talking to him a little bit about bringing Full Court 21 to Ottawa. And if he would play. And just reunited with this cat who looks like he's living his best life. And still loving the game. Expansion is always a touchy, tricky thing, maybe even as pre-qualifiers, but as we get ready for the 2024 Full Court 21 season, having some partners coming back with us and bringing in some new partners for the new year. It's an Olympic year, so I'm very happy about some of the, the partnerships we're creating, but we'll be back in Vancouver July 6th, 2024, and every Saturday after that for the next four weeks, we're going to be in a different city in Canada on the 13th in Toronto, on the 20th in Montreal, on the 27th in Edmonton, a.k.a. Las Vegas, and last but not least in Hollywood, California, the Haligonians in Halifax on August 3rd before we move on to New York City and go for our not one, not two, not three, not four, but our capital F, lowercase i, capital F, our Fifth straight full court 21 all world championship maple gang all day every day hopefully Jacques Lacusa is a part of that these guys whether I'm talking about coach Hooten or young men who are playing the high school games who played in university or college somewhere later I want to highlight our desire to continue to grow our game with more women participating in full court 21 hopefully we'll have more of that fc21ca.com will be your home for everything full court 21 in Canada so be on the lookout for that. We're revamping the site now to get you prepared for the new year and making sure that we have more women involved because you see people like Coach Dawn Staley, Hall of Famer Dawn Staley, getting a new deal as a head coach. 
down at the University of South Carolina, seven years, $23 million, making her easily one of the highest paid head coaches in college basketball. And right after that, national champion, Louisiana State University, Kim Mulkey, multiple time national champion herself, couple at Baylor, now here at LSU, signing a 10-year, $32 million contract. I feel like at some point, they're going to renegotiate in the middle of these contracts. So salute to both Coach Dawn and Coach Kim for getting those numbers. And that's maybe why some of your players are going to stay in college. And the grift part of it is the trip because the NIL will allow these young players like Paige Beckers, who is back. I'm so happy for Paige Beckers from UConn for coming back this year. Just signed a new Nike deal, NIL deal with them. Scheduled to make a couple million dollars to stay in college. Of course, UConn is going to sell a bunch of Paige Beckers jerseys. And has she not gotten injured or has she challenged the hardship rule of the WNBA? Like I said, she could have. Would that have made her a pariah in the league? Maybe. But would it have made her a groundbreaker? Absolutely. Didn't happen. She has some injuries. I don't know if her stock is the same, but we'll see what she does this season. If you can make a couple million dollars staying in college and only make Supermax contracts in the WNBA are like $250,000 and she's not at Supermax level, why would you go to the WNBA? So the WNBA has to change around their pay structure. You see Becky Hammond making a million dollars a year and her players don't make that. It's not universities, it's professionals. I don't know any head coaches who are making more than the top players in the NBA because they won't. It's not how it's structured. So... Maybe something has to change in that paradigm as well for the women to find more equitable pay for their services. Playing the game, they would play, like I said, for free. Becker's NIL deal did not exist when DeMarcus Cousins played basketball. Did not exist when Jalen Rose played basketball. Did not exist when Will Strickland played major Division I college basketball. We can't fault these kids for the results of poor planning from the, the cabal that is the National Collegiate Athletic Association. And former University of Kentucky center and star, DeMarcus Cousins, went on Kevin Garnett's show, KG Certified and Showtime, and talked about going to university and and talking about his experience and how NIL now is just reparations for players. It's reparations for years and years and years of stripping them down of their money and their name, image, and likeness, where DeMarcus Cousins gave the example of the University of Kentucky playing a game in Cancun and there's a guy outside the arena selling t-shirts with his name and image on it and making $60,000. And DeMarcus Cousins can lose his scholarship if someone buys him something to eat or if he uses a car for the summer. There's an imbalance in that. There's a, I don't want to utilize the term slavery, but I guess I just invoked it here. But there's an imbalance in the system where the players, the generators of the revenue, the people that other people come to see perform are treated like caged animals at times. I remember Shabazz Napier, also of the University of Connecticut, talking about going to bed hungry at one of the top universities in the country? How? On full scholarship? With all this Nike money? How? I get DeMarcus Cousins feeling the way he felt. And I look at this situation with the name, image, and likeness, and I wasn't a star player. It was nothing like that. But I guarantee you I would have been making millions of dollars. The NCAA is a farce. It always has been. For them to try and exert any degree of power today is ridiculous. So the trade-off is let us still continue to be an organization while you can make some money and we'll restrict how much money you can make. But as long as you're here. And don't get me wrong, not all college players can make NIL money. They're not. 
If you're the 12th guy on the bench, whatever, you're not making that money. So what does it mean to you? Oh, maybe there's some pocket change for a local sandwich spot. Okay, cool. Do that. If you can do it. But know this. DeMarcus Cousins is cool. University of Kentucky is cool. His players is cool. But the idea of being able to earn money from it. But the organization that tries to control how you move, the NCAA, it's like, they can kiss my ass. I wouldn't want somebody to play with me and play with my name, especially if I was a star like that. Because I quit school because of recess. I don't play. And they issue you. So make sure you come back. Because it's not how we start. It's how we finish. And we're going to finish strong on the open run with Will Strickland. It is now winning time on the open run with Will Strickland. I want to thank you, the listener, for hanging out on the podcast where basketball and life are one. And with that being said, it is now time for the news, views, and truths that you choose on the NBA, WNBA, and beyond some WNBA action as we head into the playoffs. Last games of the season were this past weekend, and awards were locked up. Voting ended late Sunday night. I want to shout out Kalea Copper of the Chicago Sky and Joel Lloyd, who both signed Supermax contracts for the next two years. Joel Lloyd also is a record breaker. 939 points in a 38-game season, breaking the record that was done in 34 games by Diana Taurasi. And earlier, this actually this past week, by Brianna Stewart, an MVP candidate herself as Jewel Lloyd, even though her team, the Seattle Storm, were quite terrible, was doing her thing to keep them afloat. So shout out to her. Shout out to Claire Copper, who was an absolute monster on the court. The 2021 WNBA Finals MVP. Jewel Lloyd breaking Diana Taurasi's single season scoring record. She scored 939 points. Taurasi averaged 25.3 in the year that she broke the record. Jewel Lloyd at 24.7. So shouts out to both Miss Copper and Miss Floyd on the contracts and on outstanding seasons. But we're talking about the most valuable record breakers. We're talking about Brianna Stewart, who had the most 40 point games and also broke another Diana Taurasi record. She generally considered the GOAT. And Brianna Stewart, an outstanding season moving over from Seattle, where she was a teammate of Joel Lloyd's and coming on to what people might consider a super team. You would think that your production would go down or that you have to balance these things out and someone's game is going to have to quote-unquote suffer. As a result, you had a former Defensive Player of the Year and MVP and John Cole Jones, who was the fourth leading scorer on that squad. So Stewie, everything was built around her and Sabrina Ionescu and Benajah Laney, and they are the second best team. Well, right now, we're doing a Power 5, but the season is over. Maybe I should do a, a final Power 5, but we'll get to that in a second. And she could be the MVP, 40-point games, second most points scored in the season, still breaking the single-season record for regular season scoring that was held by Tarasi. You go on to the Connecticut Sun, their MVP candidate, Alyssa Thomas, who led the league in rebounding and assist and triple doubles on a team that everyone thought was going to fall apart after Kirk Miller and John Quill Jones left. The third-best team in the league, the Connecticut Sun, shout out to Stephanie White for the job she's done there to keep that squad together. But Alyssa Thomas is the glue to everything. 16 points, 10 rebounds, 8 assists a night. The first person to ever lead the league in rebounding and assist. Broke the assist record held by Courtney Vandersloot. Alyssa Thomas is a leader. And I guarantee you, and maybe I'm tipping my hat a little bit, but 
You take Brianna Stewart off that team, are they still a playoff team? 100%. You take Asia Wilson off that team, and you have the returning former MVP herself, Candace Parker, coming back to replace her. Are they still one of the top teams in the league? Absolutely. Connecticut, who had already lost Brianna Jones, and she would have definitely been a key asset in the playoffs this year, is one thing. Losing Alyssa Thomas, teams not even in the playoffs. Don't see it. So Alyssa Thomas, the second most valuable record breaker this year. And last, but certainly not least, Asia Wilson of the Las Vegas Aces. Let's put it like this. When I say it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Well, they started strong and they finished relatively strong. But Asia Wilson's last five games, she scored 145 points. So she's averaging 29 and 10 to close out the season, shooting 56% from the field and averaging two blocks a night. So she's been running for not only the MVP, but Defensive Player of the Year again. And she would be a person that would win her third MVP. And there's only been a couple of people who've done that in the league. So Asia Wilson's on that. And shouts out on the side to the three-point record being broken by Sabrina Inescu, who has a sick, I don't know why they want to call them unisex kicks for women whose names are on them. They never called Jordan's unisex kicks. I don't get it. But her kicks are sweet. The Nike rollout, mwah, chef's kiss. Excellent look on Sabrina Ionescu's shoes, but she is the regular season three-point made record holder for the WNBA now. I'm going to do a power five for sure. We're going to end it up with the number one team in the league, even though they're the second seed, the New York Liberty. Of course, the Aces at number two, who finished out strong. They won a record 34 games this year. They lost six, most of those, or to the Liberty. So for those who are anticipating those two teams in the finals, it might not be as easy as you think it would be. Two talented teams, the best teams in the league, making it to the finals. Anything can happen as the playoffs start this Wednesday in Las Vegas. And number three, the Connecticut Sun. And number four, the Dallas Wings. And at number five, the Lynx. Nothing has changed really from last week. But what has changed is the playoff preview that we're going to do right now. As the number four and five seeds will match up in Dallas. Starting off with the Wings facing the Atlanta Dream. Ryan Howard has an opportunity to upset the apple cart. As Satu Sabli and Enrique Ungumbwale lead a very tough Dallas Wings team. That has an opportunity to do some serious damage in the playoffs. Best of three series starts very soon for them. As well as the number three and number six seed, Sun versus the Lynx. I see this as probably being a sweep. Although Nafisa Collier and that whole team, Cheryl Reeves team out there in Minnesota are not going to walk away. They're not going to be easy pickings. It's not a soft touch out there in Minnesota. So look out for the Sun to do their thing. The 2-7 matchup between the Liberty and the Mystics. They just played a game at the end of the season. Of course, a lot of the starters did not play as many minutes. But the Mystics losing Christy Tolliver to an injury for the season and having Shakira Austin suffering from a lingering hip issue. Going to be tough when you have to play against Stewie and John Cole Jones down low and have to face them with just Elena Deladon, who is easily... A Hall of Famer, but very injury prone. Can they sustain and do enough? Can Ariel Atkins give you enough? Can Natasha Cloud give you enough? Shout out to my homegirl, Megan McPeak, on the play-by-play for the Washington Mystics of the WNBA as well. And the 1-8 matchup between the Aces and the Sky. The Aces will 
more than likely be without the services of Raquana Williams, who was a big part of them winning the championship last season, just recently had her domestic violence charges dropped. She was cleared to play for the team, but Becky with the good hair was like, nah, she's a multiple time offender and we don't tolerate domestic violence of any sort. So that's going to be key for people like Jackie Young and Chelsea Gray, finals MVP last year, you know, to step up, do their thing. But Raquana Williams, a key asset off the bench, will they change their mind depending upon how tough the playoffs get for the Aces going forward? We'll keep an eye out on that. But the 1-8 matchup looks like a sweep. Two games, Aces in Las Vegas this Wednesday starting. As much as I admire what they've done in Chicago with the affection of Candace Parker and other players, Emma Mieserman not playing for them, Courtney Vandersloot out of there, James Wade leaving, coming to the Toronto Raptors. You know, there's a lot of turnover. The Chicago Sky persevered, and shout out to them, but their season will be short. I'm going to give away some new work awards for this season. I think it was a great season. I enjoy basketball, period. I don't care who's playing it. And the WNBA is a solid brand of basketball. I was talking to someone just recently about running into St. Michael Jeffrey of Wilmington and how the Bulls, who had not been world champions yet in 1989, but they were knocking on that door, were flying commercial just like we were as a university team. I see Will Perdue in the airport. I'm like, did Vanderbilt play in Indiana recently? Why am I looking at Will Perdue like this? And forgot he was a pro and he played for the Bulls. I sat down, bumped my head against some guys who were playing cards behind us, and it was St. Michael Jeffrey of Wilmington. They were playing a game called Tunk. I need to save that conversation for another day because it happened on December 31st, 1989. Never forget it. And they were flying commercial. The NBA started in 1946. First game played in Toronto. The Toronto Huskies versus the New York Knickerbockers. I think it was November 1st, 1946. 43 years later, they're still flying commercial. So, ladies, I understand that time and technology change things, but be patient. You'll have charter flights sooner than later, and hopefully your pay will increase as your revenue increases for the league. But I want to give the Do Work Awards to the best of the best in the WNBA this year. So, with no further ado, the Do Work Awards for the WNBA. For Coach of the Year this year, it was simple for me. Stephanie White talked about how Losing so much from that team and keeping them together, even though Alyssa Thomas is that glue, it took a special coach to understand what it took to step back and allow those players as veteran players to coach themselves to some degree, but still instill her identity and put her stamp on what the team was going to be moving forward. So shout out to Stephanie White, who I chose with no disrespect to Becky Hammond, of course, or Sandy Brondello in New York, but I thought the best job was done by Stephanie White. Rookie of the year, it's no question. Aaliyah Boston, Indiana Fever. There's no one else. I'll just leave that there. Most improved player. Now, there could have been a couple of choices, but for me personally, there's no one better than Satu Sabali, who was an MVP candidate. Establishing her name in this league is important, and I think it's very important for the Dallas team to try and keep that core together because they have something there. And Satu Sabali is a big, big part of that, a very well-rounded player was going to play an Alyssa Thomas-type role for that team moving forward. You'll see this, and you'll probably see a lot of it in the playoffs this year. Shouts out to Satu Sabli from the Dallas Wings, most improved player in the WNBA this year. The sixth person of the year, Alicia Clark, off the bench for Las Vegas. She could start for a bunch of teams in the league. She comes off the bench. Her defense is amazing. 
She's very necessary when you have injuries to people like Candace Parker on that squad as well. But she's a big key to whether they will have a chance at a repeat championship this season. Alicia Clark as your sixth person of the year from the Las Vegas Aces. Defensive player of the year, Alyssa Thomas. Leave it alone. Just leave it alone. She's everything to that squad. Steals, rebounds, assists, block. Like, she does her thing. Shouts out and definitely a hat tip to the great Asia Wilson, who is right on her tail as far as defensive player of the year. And as MVP, I'm pretty sure that either Stewie or Asia Wilson is going to win the MVP. But for me personally, again, I said this earlier, if you take Alyssa Thomas away from the Connecticut Sun, they are not a playoff team. And we talk about value, not necessarily the best player in the world, but the most valuable player to our team, the most valuable player in the league is Alyssa Thomas from the Connecticut Sun for me. And all WNBA, Jackie Young, she's giving you 18 points every night. It's just quietly doing her job. Jackie Young in the backcourt along with Alyssa Thomas, Satu Sabley, Brianna Stewart, and Asia Wilson. If you have a different list, let us know. Hit me up. You know my information. I'm easy to find. Before we go, I had a lot of conversations this past weekend. My man, Trilly D. Williams, a.k.a. Trill Mazeroski, a.k.a. Jason A. England, who wrote one of the greatest articles on hip-hop culture that I've ever read, and I'm not one to give out Octane for free. We had a good conversation about hip-hop culture at 50. It went along with the notion of American basketball being dead, much like hip-hop. They've said that hip-hop was dead for years, and i like to let you know that reports of my demise, whether I'm talking about American basketball, hip-hop culture have been greatly exaggerated as the Avengers are on the scene now. The Redeemed Team 2, led by the hashtag he shan't be named. Those guys have expressed an interest in coming back and restoring the luster. I mean, the World Cup, the FIBA World Cup and the Olympics are two different things altogether. But again, because there's no nuance in sports broadcasting for the most part, <laughs> most people won't know that. At any rate, American basketball is not dead, but it's suffering from an identity crisis because at a certain point you won't be able to call on the hashtag you shan't be named or Wardell Stephen Curry the second or Kevin Wayne Durant to put on a cape and captain save him save him from what the world has gotten smaller and, and greater at the game but there's no question the best players on the planet overall are in the United States and they represent America I mean a statement about Yugoslavia doesn't exist we could speculate all day, but what we do know is that you put a team with Durant, Curry, and the hashtag, you could put other parts out there and flourish in the attention economy. And as I speak about the attention economy, Shaquille Rashawn O'Neal posted something on his Instagram page that talked about the 21st century all-NBA team, like the best 21st century all-NBA teams, first, second, and third team. Obviously, he was on the first team is Shaq. So when you look at the team was Steph, the late great Kobe Bean Bryant, blessed dead, the hashtag he who shan't be named, and the great Timothy Theodore Duncan next to Shaq. Questions, thoughts, comments? Share them please. The second team was Stephen John Nash. I'm like, oh okay. I like that. But again, that's one of Shaq's contemporaries. I can understand where he got there with that. Russell Westbrook might have something to say about that, but that's a whole nother conversation. Dwayne Tyrone Wade. Kevin Wayne Durant, Giannis, Ugo, LaTerrence Atentacumpo, and Nikola Jermaine Jokic on the second team. Okay. And on the third team, he had 
Christopher Emmanuel Paul, James Edward Harden Jr., Kevin Maurice Garnett, and Dirk Werner Nowitzki. I think he's cheating by having two power forwards when he needed a small forward. I would replace KG with Kawhi Anthony Leonard personally and then figure out what I have to do between Dirk and KG, which NBA championship was more impressive that Dirk had a couple of runs with the same team. Probably edges him over KG. That's tough. But for me, I'd probably put Dirk there. And surprisingly, at the center, Dwight David Howard, selected by Shaquille Rashad O'Neal. Who are your teams? And is there this notion that somehow America needs to be number one in the world, whereas Germany is number one right now? Hmm. Depends on from whose lens you're looking. But let this be clear. That basketball season is right around the corner. Whether you're talking about the WNBA, college basketball, or the NBA itself. And then right after that, we roll into the big three and full court 21. Basketball never sleeps. Basketball never stops. And until next week, do remember, do what's popular with the population. Make sure you don't get beat off the dribble. And keep listening to The Open Run with Will Strickland. Rich kid, my mellow, my man. Do what you do when you do it, sir. Easy.